0: Good morning friends. Good morning. It's good to see you today. So thankful to be here with you worshiping together, trusting that the Holy Spirit will do his work in us as we open up his word. I'm generally not a, a uh, social media kind of guy. You're not going to see me posting much of anything. Uh, but I have been actually blown away lately I actually have social media accounts my Facebook page is private between me and my wife and our three children and then I have an Instagram account that uh, one of my old soccer players made for me without me knowing it Um, and but I found out about it and have taken it over It is in my custody Um, but I'm generally not a social media kind of guy but The amount of posting that I've seen lately on this account that this girl made for me has really blown me away. Uh, It seems like everybody's got an opinion, and they believe everybody else should hear their opinion. And so they post it, and kind of reminds me of guerrilla warfare. They run out of the woods, throw a grenade, and then run back into the woods. That's kind of how I see our current social media happenings. And this is kind of like the Book of Mark that we have in front of us. If you have a Bible with you, open it, please, to the Gospel of Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the second book in the New Testament. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you in the pew. Um, But I want to I want to show you here uh, today some things about um, the Gospel of Mark, starting with the person of John the Baptist, which is why we read what we did just a second ago but uh, I want you to see here first off that the Gospel of Mark is really like the social media of his day Um, if you have ADD this this is the book for you Um, just because it is so fast-moving impossible to get bored impossible to get distracted because something's always being thrown uh, in front of your eyes for you to consider and by the time you've got it figured out he changes the subject and so this is wonderful for people like me who get distracted easily with all sorts of stuff. But the Apostle Mark, he, what he does is he, he takes a, a concept or, or a theme um, and throws it like a grenade in front of you and it explodes. And while you're recovering, he throws another one or runs back into the woods to get more. And you'll notice this if you have your, your Bible open uh, There's a sign in the Gospel of Mark when a grenade is being launched and it's the word immediately. You'll see the first grenade in verse 12 when the apostle Mark uses that word. We'll come across that multitude of times and every time it's Mark changing a little bit of the scenes to keep you with him, to keep you focused and from getting distracted. So why a sermon series on this book? I don't believe all of you are ADD. I think some of you are, maybe most of us are, uh, but that's not why I chose the book. I chose the book because of the purpose of the book that is written here in front of us. Mark was writing to Christians in the city of Rome during the time of Nero, immediately following the execution of of, uh, Peter, his mentor. So Peter was mentoring John Mark, John Mark saw Peter die and wrote this letter that we have in front of us here to the Christians in Rome under the rule of Nero. And if you know anything about world history, you know that Nero was a raging lunatic. Uh, And he took out his rage on Christians, literally. And he was chasing them down, hunting them, trying to execute them publicly for their faith. Um, And because of this, and because of the intensity of the chaos that was surrounding uh, Nero's leadership at the time, believers had to retreat into the catacombs underneath the city of Rome, maybe you've heard about that, in order to be safe. They lived down there to escape Nero. And so Mark wanted to write a letter to these folks who who were literally afraid for their lives, who had chaos bombarding them from every single direction and needed some hope, needed some encouragement. And so John presents. I mean, Mark presents the, the the person of Jesus Christ as a suffering Savior who is here to help during times of crisis, who's here to assist us through the chaos that we are experiencing in his day and now again in ours. We need a presentation of Jesus Christ like this today in the 21st century. Mark arranged his material to show Christ as the one who speaks, who acts, and saves during chaos. And so we need Jesus today to do that for us. I think what will happen as we make our way through this book is that the Holy Spirit will help us take our eyes off the craziness, off the chaos, and put them on to Christ, which is really our only hope, isn't it? And that's that's what we're going to do. We'll we'll see this theme repeated over and over again, but the key verse in the Gospel of Mark is chapter, in chapter 10, verse 45. It says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Imagine that. The God of the universe didn't come to be served, but to serve. That seems odd, but this is in fact the case, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, so Jesus came with a specific intent to serve people. And those who decide to follow him will follow his lead and be loving servants themselves. This is what we will see in the Gospel of Mark. So let me read for you the first eight verses of the Gospel of Mark, and uh, hopefully you'll follow along with me. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So here we have the beginning of this letter, of this book of Mark, and he introduces us to John the Baptist. So let's let's first look at the very first sentence in this book as we dive in, okay? It's full of information. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Whose gospel is it? Jesus Christ's gospel. John uh, Mark makes that clear right up front. Uh, the name Jesus, of course, if we want to dissect this verse, the name Jesus means what? Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. That's the name of Jesus. So, introducing his book, Mark says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the beginning of the gospel of Yahweh saves, and then he adds a title, Christ. And what's that title mean? The Anointed One, the Messiah. So Mark lays out his opinion of the person of Jesus Christ. He is the God of the universe, a God who saves. He is the promised Messiah, the Son of God. What a jam. We we could spend a couple of weeks there, but I don't want to test your patience. All right. I've summarized it here for you so that we can move on to the book. Now, Yahweh saves is an interesting meaning, isn't it? This is what the angel told Mary. Remember in Matthew chapter one, you will call his name. That is the baby you're going to have Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. That's what his name means. Yahweh saves. The God of the universe saves. The one that you will bear is God, and he is going to save people, is what the angel Gabriel told Mary. So the God of the universe came, Mark says, to bring good news for sinful, hopeless, and dying people. Isn't that great news? The God of the universe cares deeply about his people. He cares about us. He cares that we are saved from sin, saved from death, saved from judgment to enjoy God's blessing, God's bounty. We have a good God, and Mark wants us to know that. So let's look at the beginning here. Mark says this is the beginning of the gospel. What's he mean? The beginning. Well, the Gospel of Mark is just the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. It continues. The story of how God saves people is a great story. Mark says this is just the beginning of it. There is a lot more to take place, of course, more to be written. And after this book was written, of course, we had other Gospels written. I, I think that this is the first Gospel written of the four. And then there's Acts, and then there's the Epistles. And then after all of the New Testament canon is complete, we have church history beginning with the, the first century and all the great fathers of the church that we know of, the Middle Ages, including Augustine, and then moving into the Reformation, the Puritans, and then up to our day, and then what is beyond us. This is the story that Mark is talking about. This is just the beginning of that story, the beginning of the gospel. This is the gospel message, which goes on into eternity, but it begins, Mark says, here with John the Baptist. Does that make sense to you? But if if you want to include the eternal decrees of God in the conversation, does it actually begin here with John the Baptist? Sun Valley Church? No, we know it doesn't, does it? It begins... (laughs) Much earlier than John the Baptist. You know, John, I mean, Mark here didn't record the advent of Christ, did he? Like Luke and Matthew did. Like John did in a theological way. Mark doesn't do that. He starts with John the Baptist. Why? Because he knows we lose attention quickly. He's, he's a guerrilla warfare dude. He's throwing in grenades. He wants to keep us alert. And so he starts where Mark thinks it's important to start for people who are enduring chaos He wants us to go from here forward. But let's let's look at the pre-beginning, if I can call it that. Before this beginning, there were others, right? Other things happening, other beginnings. And, And I want to make sure you understand the fullness of God's kingdom here. And so we're going to have to go back much further than even the advent of God on earth to something before that, something before Bethlehem. The Gospel of John, of course, as I said, is the theological version of the advent of Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 4, we heard it read earlier. I'm going to read it again. And the Word, that's a reference to the second person of the Trinity, the Word became flesh. And when he became flesh, he was given the name Jesus, Yahweh saves. That's who we're talking about here. That's who John is referring to. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. But John points out that this must go even further back than this incarnation. And he says this in the very first sentence of his gospel, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the second person of the Trinity, the Word of God, the Father, the Son, who's the Word, and the Spirit. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was God before anything was created the second person of the Godhead was there with the Father and the Spirit is what John is saying and so John indicates uh, as as he should that we must push further back past the Old Testament record in order to get to the beginning to that place where there is this pre-creation activity of the Trinity to find the beginning, the actual beginning. We must push all the way back to when God was all there was to find the beginning of the gospel. And you say, wait a minute. (laughs) How do you push beyond Genesis 1-1 with any certainty? Right? Isn't that the beginning? In the beginning, Moses said, God created the heavens and the earth. How do we get information about what went on before that? There's no book or verse that talks about that before Genesis, is there? Well, thanks be to God, the apostle Paul was writing under the authority of the Holy Spirit. And he tells us what was going on before Genesis 1:1. <laughs> Listen to this in Titus. Titus, of course, was John's disciple. He says this to, to his friend Titus. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, now pay attention, God promised before the ages began. At the proper time manifested his word through the preaching which I have been entrusted. So Paul said there was something going on before Genesis 1.1, he calls it, uh, the age, before the ages began, before Genesis 1-1, before the creation, God was there making promises about what? Saving his people. That's the verses I just read for you. So Paul is describing this inner Trinitarian promise, covenant conversation to save people that hadn't yet been created. This took place before the ages began. What this means is that before anything was, God was promising stuff. (laughs) Great stuff. (laughs) Everything recorded in the world history, including creation, has all been part of this original plan that took place before the beginning. God has never had to adjust his plan to respond to any human activity. His plan didn't change when Adam and Eve sinned. His plan even didn't change when the world crucified his only son. You see, God has orchestrated world history to bring about his glorious plan, to tell his glorious story, so that we would all rejoice in our Savior. We have been created to observe the great glorious nature of our God and spend eternity praising him for this story that we're living, that we're part of. So where is all this headed? It began back there before the ages. Where is it going? Let's look at the consummation of all this. And I'm not gonna make much comment at all. I'm just gonna read for you the consummation, the end of the story, or how it will move throughout the rest of eternity. Look at Revelation 21. One through five, this is the apostle John speaking, the one who talked about the word became flesh. This guy, he wrote this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That's what we're living on now, first heaven and first earth, we're here right now. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be there with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from the eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's where we're headed. One day, we will be in that company. Won't that be a great day? So we see the story, it's a great one, isn't it? From starting from before time began in the pre-existence of of God himself all the way up to this statement in Revelation 21 where we will be with God and he will be our God and we will be his people forever and ever receiving blessing after blessing after blessing. It's a tremendous story, that's the gospel. Mark says, the beginning of this is here with John the Baptist. But we know that it's before that. Mark's story begins with John the Baptist. All right? Let's look at this second point, the messenger. This messenger that Mark speaks of, John the Baptist. First of all, by looking at the man. No one argues that Mark is a strange person. I mean, uh, John the Baptist is a strange person. Look at verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. Uh, I've got a great idea, you know, for all of us who are struggling to keep our weight down. Uh, We're going to have a John the Baptist diet group, uh, locusts and honey, and I think this will work. This will work, right? I'm sure it will. (laughs) No, you see, Mark's physical description of, of John here and his diet isn't just a passing comment for entertainment purposes. No, it was intentionally included because it is exactly the physical description of Elijah in 2 Kings 1.8. And you remember the angel Gabriel, the one who announced to Mary that Jesus, that her son's name would be Jesus. He announced the birth of John also, John the Baptist, to his parents. And he said that this one, John the Baptist, would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And notice God not only gives Jesus his name to his parents, but God also gives John the Baptist's name to his parents. They they couldn't say, let's name him after Uncle Bob. No, God said, I want you to name this one Jesus. I want you to name this one John. Wow. So, All of Israel were expecting, awaiting, believed that Elijah would show up a second time to introduce the Messiah. And here Mark says, guess what? His name is John the Baptist. He comes in the spirit of Elijah. John's attire and diet were very strange but intentional. He was portraying the spirit of Elijah to introduce the Savior, but at the same time protest the godlessness and the materialism of his day. He was, he was uh, pertinent to his day. Very practical in his ministry. And we, we learn here in this little section that his ministry took place in the wilderness. If people wanted to hear him preach, and they did, verse 5 says all of Jerusalem and all of Judea went out there. There were thousands of people going out to listen to this wild preacher. If you wanted to hear him, you had to go out into the wilderness. He didn't have a nice auditorium in Jerusalem. He had a hillside next to the Jordan River. And people thronged to him to hear him preach to get baptized with the baptism of repentance. Now why the wilderness? Why was, well, remember his, his, his preaching was preaching about repentance, repentance from sin. And in the wilderness, the people would have been quickly reminded, the Israelites would be quickly reminded that wilderness equals sin and rebellion. You remember their history, right? <laughs> in the wilderness of Sinai, they, were very sinful people, rebelled against God, and judgment ensued. Forty years of judgment took place in the, in the Sinai desert. And here, people are returning to the wilderness to hear this guy preach about repentance from personal sin. It all made sense to them. The man, of course, John the Baptist, was inseparable from his message. I want you to remember that moving forward here. John the Baptist, the man, was inseparable from John the Baptist's message. They were commingled. And of course, as I said, his message was spirit-filled because he was spirit-filled. He was sent by God to accomplish this very purpose, to preach repentance and to introduce people to Jesus. Look at Luke 1.15, speaking to his parents Gabriel said for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb you remember When Mary the mother of Jesus went and visited her cousin Elizabeth you remember that what happened? what did the Infant inside of her womb do when Mary walked in the room It leaped I've seen that happen. I remember when Sherry was pregnant and our kids were leaping in there, it seemed like. This happened as soon as Jesus in the womb of Mary walks into the room, John the Baptist leaped, which is a reference to this. Even from his mother's womb, he was filled with the Spirit. Moms, how would you like to raise a kid who was filled with the Spirit every day of his life? (laughs) Or dad's. I got to go to work, honey. (laughs) anyways of course John the Baptist was most well known for being the forerunner of Christ Uh, Mark here in in verses 2 and 3 quotes from the prophets Isaiah and Malachi the Jews were expecting this one to show up Mark's readers of course being citizens of Rome knew what a forerunner was they knew what a herald was in their day, whenever a king would go visit a city or a town, he would send a forerunner or a herald to that town before he arrived to make sure that that place was ready for his arrival. Hey, the king's going to be here next Tuesday. You guys need to clean up your city. Let's go. Come on. Chop, chop. That's what would happen. They prepared the city for the entrance of this great king or ruler. This is how John introduces Jesus. They they knew exactly, Mark readers knew exactly what John was talking about. John was Jesus' herald, his forerunner, announcing to the world, the Messiah is coming right after me. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And so the Gospel of Mark begins with the introduction of John the Baptist. Let's look at his message. We'll see this in verses 7 and 8 and he preached saying after me comes one who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the holy spirit now let's let's look at John's message here first of all we know that from verses earlier that I've already read for you that his preaching was about repentance from sin about turning from self-righteousness to God's righteousness in Christ Jesus this may this may Uh, surprise some of you maybe it doesn't but baptism really was foreign to the Jews this type of baptism they saw converts to Judaism get baptized in a different way than this but it was familiar in that sense but in terms of a Jew being baptized for repentance from sin was novel to them but John was preaching to them about their sin and said, Okay, if you truly believe that you are a sinner and need to turn from your sin, come down here, get in the water, and I will dunk you to represent that, to signify your heart, your heart's desire. And that's exactly what was happening. There was symbolism in this baptism. It was a, it really, the, think about baptism. It's a picture of Israel going through the Red Sea. That's the baptism by God out of slavery into trial and hardship, And then into the promised land. Sounds kind of like the Christian life, doesn't it? Out of slavery to sin, into trial and hardship, in which we now live, the 40-year wilderness experience is what we are currently living, one day to be in the presence of God in the promised land, the promised land. This is what baptism signifies, that passing through the Red Sea. Israel saw it here with the preaching of John the Baptist. We see it here like we did last Sunday. People going through the waters of baptism, acknowledging their need for Christ, their repentance from sin, and their desire to pursue him the rest of their lives. This is what we see. So John's radical preaching here, when he was on the scene, exposed the unfitness of the people of Israel for the kingdom of the Messiah, and really confronted the hypocrisy that permeated much of this first century Judaism that we read about in the Gospels that Jesus confronted also. So John's baptism called for a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of will. Uh, It was a baptism of repentance. And what is baptism? It's an outward sign of an inward grace. That's what it is today, that's what it was then. Repentance is a change of direction from sin to God, from self-sufficiency to God dependency, from self-governance to God's rule. And the fruit of repentance, John the Baptist said, is a changed behavior. Have you repented of your sin? If so, we will see changed behavior. Through John the Baptist's ministry of baptism, the way for the Messiah was being made straight. That was his job, that's why he was here. He was saying, let's get ready for the Messiah. John preached a baptism of repentance so that when the Messiah came, people could fall in line and follow him wholeheartedly. Listen to Acts 19.4. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. That's how John prepared the way for Christ. There is the Messiah, he's about to arrive, please believe and follow him, was John's message. And of course, John, if you went out, if we went out and sat and listened to him preach, was a bearer of bad news. Um... He spoke in fiery terms about sin and the need for repentance from it. He knew that everyone must first deal with the bad news of their sin and separation from God before the good news of God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ makes any sense or has any effect. It remains that way today. Until you understand the bad news of your sin, the good news of the gospel makes no sense and has no effect in your life. If you think... Believing in Jesus or believing the gospel is just about becoming uh, a better husband, wife, or getting a better job. You've missed the point of the gospel. You must first deal with your sin. I have offended God. I have lived on my own direction, my own agenda. I'm done with that. I'm going to pursue Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, with my life. This is what John was after. Also, and I could say secondly... Maybe most importantly, John's message was about Jesus, not just a call to repentance, but a, a, a calling to follow Christ, a, a looking to the Messiah. This is what we see in verse 7 and 8 that I just read for you. Uh, John acknowledged that he was only able to cleanse the outside of their being. That's what water baptism does. It's just like, okay, now you're clean. You've been in the water. Now you're out. But he said here in verses 7 and 8, but the one that's coming after, my, after me will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And how does baptism with the Holy Spirit go? It cleans everything, doesn't it? Every nook and cranny. If you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, there remains no corner of your life that isn't affected by the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is why, in order to see whether or not a person is truly saved, we see all of their life being transformed day by day, more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, Romans 9. Right? Exactly. This is what John said Jesus would bring, that kind of baptism. And when the the Holy Spirit baptizes, He does it right every time. He moves into the heart and adjusts motives and attitudes. He changes our perspectives, our hopes, our dreams, and those things we trust and those things we live for. This is what the Holy Spirit does. So if you're still living for yourself and pursuing your own agenda, you've got to ask yourself, have I been baptized by the Holy Spirit or not? John, would his preaching would shake us to our core if things hadn't changed. You might ask, well, why was John the Baptist so important and effective in his preaching ministry? Seems like every single gospel talks about him. Jesus himself said he was the most most important man who ever lived, um, or the greatest man who ever lived. And why was this? What what was so special about John? Here's where uh, his person and his preaching commingle. The person of John and the message of John are hard to separate, all right, which is a good thing. And I'm going to show you here five things that separate John the Baptist and made him such a special person. And these five things are taken from the four Gospels, all right? So first we see that John was a man of integrity, integrity, he was the real deal. No one would dress like that if they weren't, right? Especially, or maybe even better, wouldn't have that as a diet if they weren't. He wasn't, of course, dressing up to perform. He understood how important it was to address real issues. He, he came right to the heart of the matter in all of his preaching, so much so that it cost him his life, you remember? He ended up confronting Herod, the local king, a ruler of the area, for sin in his life, and Herod had him thrown in jail, which ultimately led to his execution. Because of John's integrity, He was beheaded. He was willing to speak boldly to everyone who came to hear it. He didn't pull any punches. No matter who you were, no matter how finely you dressed or how much money you had, he called out the Pharisees' hypocrisy. Listen to this in Matthew 3, verses 7 and 8. But when he saw, that is, John the Baptist saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Let's see your life show what's going on in your heart. He says this to the religious leaders of his day. (laughs) Not the best way to win an audience. Hey, scumbags, why are you here today? Is what it sounded like to them. How would you like that? As Instead of me saying, hello, friends, so good to be here with you today. I said, hey, you brood of vipers. Why don't you stay home today? What's the matter with you? You shouldn't be here. You know, it's like, this is the kind of talk that was going on from John the Baptist. This is, this is how real he was. <laughs> no, I don't think we'll do that here, but John the Baptist got away with it. He called out sin every time he opened his mouth. No matter who it was, he never backed down. He didn't care if they came back or not. Beyond calling out Herod, you shouldn't be married to your brother's wife. He sent a serious question to Jesus, even. (laughs) The the one he had introduced just a couple years before as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he sends a message to Jesus from prison. He was in prison. He sends one of his disciples to Jesus and said, are you the one or not? (laughs) I'm still in prison. Israel remains under the yoke of Roman tyranny. When are we going to hear the trumpets? Was John the Baptist's question to Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus' answer was so crisp and so good. Jesus' answer was quoted from Old Testament scripture. And he gave this answer to John's disciples to take back to John who was in prison. And in Matthew eleven four and Luke 7, 22, we, we read Jesus' response. Listen to this answer that Jesus gives John's disciples. And I want you to take note of how each of them are Old Testament quotes about the coming Messiah go and tell john what you see blind receive their sight lame walk lepers are cleansed the deaf hear the dead are raised the poor have good news preach to them there's one left out anybody remember and the captives are set free he didn't say that to john you got 6 not 7 he's saying john i am the messiah You know it full well. But I didn't come to start a political revolution. I didn't come to start a war with Rome, and you're not getting out of prison. That's what was being said. Wow. John (laughs) sent a question to the king of the universe, the Messiah that he knew the identity of, are you the guy or not? This is the kind of integrity he had. He didn't pull punches with anybody. And Jesus, of course, returned with the answer I just gave you. But John the Baptist, his integrity just flowed out of him. It allowed him to preach freely without any uh, concern about the response. What a great lesson for us. Are, Are you willing to go into any environment and say what is true, or do you pull punches based on your audience? Our message is is gonna fall on deaf ears if our message doesn't match our life, starting with integrity. The apostle Paul feared sin because it would disqualify him from preaching. Paul was circumspect so that he could have a platform of integrity from which to preach to others. And John was the same. His life matched his message, does yours, does mine. It's hard to listen to a message if you know the person delivering the message lacks integrity, is fake, or insincere. Secondly, humility. Humility. John the Baptist had no intention of in taking glory for himself when we know he could have. <laughs> he openly confessed he was not the Christ. They said, Are you the guy? I mean, how, what would you say if you had all these massive crowds? And the rulers of the land were coming asking you, are you the guy? We'd say, well, well, what do you think? <laughs> not John the Baptist. We heard it read this morning. I am not the Christ. I am not that guy. Um, in fact, in John chapter 3, verse 30, he says, I must decrease. He must increase. Don't look to me. Humility. Seems like Today, all we want is people to look to me, which is why there is so much posting on social media, which is why so many preachers fail in this department. John the Baptist was a great man, don't get me wrong, no doubt. Jesus said he was the greatest ever, but he knew that he was called by God as a herald of the Messiah. He came to point the world to him, not to make much of himself. Arrogance is a put-off to most people. And so we need to fight against any forms of pride that may minimize the effectiveness of our message. I think this is so important. That's why so many preachers fall into this trap of pride. They lose focus on who they've been called to proclaim and think this is about them. And they lose their effectiveness as a result. Next is authority. The next thing we see in John's... Ministry, John's life, is authority. We heard it read earlier, John 1.6, a man sent from God. (laughs) That's pretty authoritative, isn't it? Who told you to come in here? My wife. That's not too authoritative, is it? Well, for some of us it is. But... uh... (laughs) But... But as far as the world's concerned You know, you don't. That's not your. That's not your first swing, all right. John the Baptist, man came from God. How would that change your perspective of what you're about to say? Who sent you? God did. Wow. You see, our 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 message can't be based on our own authority, our own ability, our own intellect. our message must be based on what God has to say on the matter. And if we stick to that, we have all of His authority. I have no authority in your lives, Sun Valley Church, whatsoever, the moment I step outside of these boundaries. Period. The minute I open this, I have all authority, all of God's authority, as long as I'm interpreting it as it should be interpreted. Why? Because this is God's Word. And John brought God's word to the people, a man sent from God. That's authority. Since we have God's word in our hands right now, we can move forward in this day of chaos with great confidence and all authority. You and me can do this. Stay within the boundaries of the word, and you have the author of the word's authority. Next, clarity. Clarity. Do you think anybody was confused about what John the Baptist meant? I don't think so. (laughs) I think he was abundantly clear, to the offensive point, of course. No one mistook his meaning. His meaning wasn't obscure. It wasn't complicated. He clearly confronted sin, pointed people to Jesus, and said, any questions? No. Friends, what a great model. We cannot afford to patty cake around sin. We must not waffle on the exclusivity of the gospel. We must be clear. Jesus is the only, capital O-N-L-Y, way. There isn't a bunch of other ways. All roads don't lead to Rome. No. What a model for us. John's clarity. Is your conversation clear with your neighbors when you talk about Jesus? If you talk about Jesus? Or is it like, well, I believe, I'm not sure, but I think, no. No. God says, should be a response to those kind of situations. Is my conversation clear? Friends, our conversation about the gospel needs to be clear, not complicated. No one was confused about John's message. They all understood what it meant to repent from their sins. They all understood the requirements of God's holiness. Paul pursued clarity in his ministry almost more than anything. He says this to the Colossians in chapter 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Listen to his prayer request. Paul prayer request. Pray that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. (laughs) We can't afford to be unclear about the only hope for the world. You understand that? We cannot afford to be unclear about the only hope for the world. When we speak about the gospel and Jesus Christ, our conversation must be at least clear. There is no virtue in complicating what is intended to be simple. At Sun Valley Church, we want our sermons to be clear. We want our liturgy to be clearly portraying the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you come, we want you to see the gospel on the surface We don't want you to have to dig for it here. We come in and exalt the God of our salvation and how great and glorious and holy he is. Then we acknowledge our sin in his presence and then we hear from his word and leave rejoicing at what Jesus has done for us. We hope you see it as clear as day every week. The gospel must be clear and finally, urgency. John the Baptist, his communication, his person was urgent. He says, flee the coming wrath. It's going to get bad. You better respond. Time is short. Do we have urgency in our message? Or it's like, "I'll, I'll get to it someday. Maybe next summer when we go camping, I'll say something. Do you sense urgency when you think of your neighbor's lost condition? If not, why not? Do do you sense an urgency from my preaching in the pulpit, from Pastor Rick's preaching, from any of your favorite preachers? Are you hearing the time is now? Are you hearing that? Bishop Quayle was asked, is preaching the art of making and delivering a sermon? Sounds like a good answer, right? Preaching is the art and making of, or delivering of a good sermon. Uh, Bishop Quayle answered, no. Why, no, that, that's not preaching. Preaching is the art and making and delivering of a preacher. You can't separate the two. Friends, we cannot be separated from our message. It's either urgent or it's not. It's either clear or it's not. We either have integrity or we don't. John the Baptist was consumed with his message. He knew his calling. He knew what God wanted out of him, and he delivered faithfully to the point of death. His message was clear, urgent, spoken with God's authority from a platform of integrity, and delivered with humility. John the Baptist preaching lifted up Jesus Christ, and all God glorifying preaching or sharing lifts up Jesus Christ. It's designed to persuade you to follow Jesus more closely, to love Him more passionately, and to serve Him more fervently. The preacher's job is to take his listeners into the presence of God and show them His glory, and His glory is the person of Jesus Christ. I want you, friends, when you come to Sun Valley Church to encounter God, when you come, I want you to see Jesus. And as we make our way through Mark's gospel, you will in fact see Jesus Christ clearly. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Coming to this world, for sending John in front of you, for sending this man who was so passionate for you, so passionate for righteousness. Thank you for this record that we were able to cover this morning. Help us to be more like John. Help us to be ultimately more like you, Jesus, our Savior. We bless you and and thank you that we've been in your presence this morning, hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ one more time. Amen.